You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Uncivil Outlaw. Chapter 16. Darkness encroaches. My fear had been muddled with other sensations. Curiosity and a macabre fascination. And it was those that I indulged once we were inside the house. There were several rooms opening into one another. A kitchen, a parlour, what might have been a study, and winding stairs ascending to unseen chambers above, which I sought to make excuses to poke my head into. It was dark in there and uneven. The walls were dry and cool to the touch, with a rough, wattled texture, and they did not stand at perpendicular angles like the boxes humankind inhabits, Rather, they climbed from beneath the floor to beyond the ceiling in a flow of ancient wood, as though we had ventured inside a dead, hollow tree that was still growing. Much like Merlane's place, many shelves and cabinets occupied the alcoves of this house, each filled with arcane materials beyond interpretation, flasks of pale potions and tonics, hanging racks of wicked-looking rusted surgical implements, tiny little dolls with expressions that seemed far too human. I moved swiftly to the potions, and the surfaces of the liquidious content tipped perceptibly as the floor beneath our feet rearranged itself. The legs below the house were restless. Our surroundings swayed and shifted, akin to a bird box clinging to a branch in a nighttime wind. Spotting a many-tiered collection of filled jars, I drew closer to see what the milky, fibrous substances they seemed to hold might be. Amid contained clouds of gossamer, I beheld black, glossy eyes staring back at me as their still owners twitched inside. I was looking at dozens of miniature spider nests. Upon the plinth, above the hearth, in which a fire with faint violet hues played, stood a single withered hand, desiccated and claw-like. From each of its six fingers a brownish worm had threaded up, and the tails of these worms were lit like some grotesque menorah. I moved to the bookcases which ran the length of the wall of the study and examined the spines. They were very old, cracked and worn, The newer ones were leather-bound and mottled green, clotted red and scabrous brown. But further back I found much, much older ones, and I could not tell you what they were bound with, save that it was yellowing and sinewy. The titles seemed to be handwritten upon the dented spines in an aggressive, threading scrawl, and I did not recognize the name of a single one. A glow caught my eye. I moved back to the shelf just below the potions, craned my neck and used a fingertip to push two small jars aside and find one that contained a silverish cyan light. It was neither liquid nor solid, but as I moved closer to inspect it, seemed to visibly react and call out with a voice so high the words were lost in the range of my mortal ear. Then a white, tattooed hand shot into my field of vision, and skeletal fingers closed over the jar. 
eclipsing the light as that veiled face appeared from the shadow, moved close to mine and whispered, Such a curious eye. Come away, sir. We shall save this for later. I could smell her now. I had expected rot or filth or the kind of unpleasant malodor that brought to mind the grave or even waste. But as Yagana held her head close to mine, I pictured an attic filled with keepsakes, but with no walls, standing inexplicably upon a lonely shore. I detected the sea and old paper and leather and candle wax. Every hair upon my head stood on end and my mouth fell open. It was wonderful, strange and horrifying. I trembled as I felt her fingertips upon my chest. I could see the yellows of each iris in those dark eyes, watching me from behind the curtain. James, come here. Abigail demanded, and I jolted into movement, retreating from Yagana to stand behind a warped round table with Abigail, the furniture forming a barrier between us and our host. Snap out of it, my companion hissed. You were staring at her for like two minutes straight. This passing of time had not registered, and I shook with unease. You must both be hungry. Let me fix you with something for our supper. We're famished, but we have to ask you something pretty important first. What is it that you seek? The witch seated herself and rested her chin upon her fingers. Proud told us all about this house. You may remember a purple tiger about... Yeah! She stood on tiptoes and stretched her hand up to the ceiling. Our host nodded slowly. The cat who cheats death. That's her, thanks to your witch imaginations. Abigail went on, her voice serious and unusually polite. It seems from what she said that you have a manipulative control over the magic or whatever forces are at work here. And I guess what we have to ask you is what you can do with... In unison, the two of us flipped our eye patches, revealing the starlight. These. Yagana lifted a finger to where her lips would be and crooked her neck, craning forward with an investigative, avian demeanor. Oh, much. And I see you have more than one thing inside you, pretty one. Yeah, I have a shield enchantment of some kind. I want to hold on to that. But you wish the starlight gone gone from your mind. It's a terrible burden. Can you contain it? Maybe in a bottle or something? I I would need need a device expressly constructed to hold such such power. Glasses too too fragile. You will need a living being of suitable complexity. And you don't, by chance, happen to have a spare orb lying around, do you? Actually, I have one of those. Oh, shit! Seriously, you kept it? I nodded and rummaged in my medical bag, bringing out the blackened sphere she had previously emptied into herself back in Washington. 
You're a genius! Abigail gushed, squeezing my hand under the table. I mean, we both knew that, but it behoves me to say so without sarcasm every once in a while. Thank you so much, James. Can you use this? I asked the witch. I placed it down, gathered in the scarf which had previously wrapped it. Yagana extended a lithe digit and tapped the inert orb. She withdrew her hand and laced her fingers together again. I can. Would you both would you like to be rid of like to be rid of terrible burdens? There was a long silence. If you want to lay yours down, I can hold on to it in this orb. Then you can finally be free. Freedom has taken on a weird aspect of late. I ain't letting go of my responsibility just to attain a better notion of it. This power is still mine to guard. And when I saw the orb just now, I thought we might be able to store the endowment and take it back to Merlane, since she's the only one I think is beyond White's abilities to find and defeat. Well, that would be a viable possibility if our horse, her erstwhile companion, hadn't fled like the devil was after him. True, and we know that goddamn airship is out there looking for us. But if we keep running west to Utah, we can bury the orb in the salt flats. Then at least White will stop trying to kill me. We can buy ourselves some time, figure out what to do. Abigail, think of the many awful possibilities. If we both die and nobody else knows where the orb is buried, we leave this world at the mercy of the open doors. What if one gets opened, not by me, but by Krieger and Greta, or someone else entirely, that leads to somewhere truly terrible, and they don't or can't close it? We doom this planet by our inaction. I laid my hand on her forearm in a way I prayed felt gentle and reassuring. Let me take your burden. You being free is a personal benefit we both want, but you will be protecting the world with this decision, and it will be for the good of everyone. What will you do with it? I'll take it to White. Immediately she froze and pulled her hand away, sharply, her green eye widening. Hear me out. I can't believe you. I wanted to imagine your inaction back on Thundercloud was because you were too scared to stand against him. Or you were afraid he would kill me. But all this time you've been planning to, what, take it back to him? Was I going to be in chains or did you delude yourself that you could convince me with words? Before my explanation, can we get that supper? I feel like our minds will be clearer. And in your own words, this is a really important decision to make. We shouldn't do it on an empty stomach. She glared at me. You are still hungry? I could swallow an entire pig without it touching the sides, but that's not the point. Right now, I'm your pots. You have been listening to episode 16 of Uncivil Outlaw, Darkness Encroaches, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Captain Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw, 
Dr. James Penrose, performed by Alex Shaw, and Yagana, performed by Theo Lee and Sharon Shaw. Dragon and Toast and Smoking Gun, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes, including Disembodied Spirits, Meat Corridor, and Dying World by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our top-tier $15 sponsors get a shout-out every episode, so many thanks to Joel Robinson, Finbar Nicole, Abel Savard, Michael Hasker, Trey Contreras, Matthew Webb, Angus Lee, Kevin Bay, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Johan Clayson, Joe Gesiga, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Matthew A. Siebert, Kat Esman, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Tom Painter, Dan Hepner, Marty Huey, Mark Luksh, Brian Novak, Frankie Punzi, Aaron Lecluse, Lorraine Chisholm, Timothy Green, Cassandra Newman, Duran Barnett, Benjamin, Joseph Gluck, Greg Downing, Kieran Dashler, Dan Mayer, Jameis Enright, David Sheely, Chris Finnick, and Joe Crowe.